You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. Art Happens Here, mainly because of the vision and talent of today's guest. In many ways, every single episode of this podcast has been in preparation for this interview. LCC President Emeritus Dr. Brent Knight served here from 2008 to 2020 and the scope of his efforts toward elevating this college's beauty, relevance, and appeal is unparalleled. Dr. Knight, welcome to Art Happens Here. Well, delighted to be with you and good to be in Lansing, Michigan. Such a privilege to be uh, speaking with you today, sir. I'd like to provide a brief snapshot of some of your accomplishments, if it's even possible to be brief. I could probably spend the balance of this segment attempting to list everything you've done here, both micro and macro because it's staggering. Although we're here to discuss art, I think some of your major renovations are noteworthy because they contextualize various art installations and strongly influence the LCC brand. For starters, there's a student commons and learning commons renovations within the Gannon and TLC buildings, the massive arts and sciences building renovation, the new Center for Manufacturing Excellence at West Campus, and the reimagined Aviation Tech Center in Mason. There are at least 10 sizable and several smaller sculptures that adorn our campuses and dozens of engaging ambient learning, photographic, and fine art installations. Beautiful landscape design that includes hundreds of new trees and a new clock tower that overlooks our downtown campus. LCC is indeed a college like no other because of your efforts. Well, thank you. That was my goal. And I could keep going. There are leaf imprints in the cement. The list just goes on and on. What you've done is staggering. I think you could take any three of those things, I tell people, any three of them out of the dozen or so huge things, any president would be happy to look back on just three of those. Yeah. And you were like a machine. We did like a thousand images of all sorts. And when I walk about the campus, I remember most of them, Mm -hmm. but there's so many, I can't remember all of them. It's great. Well, I'd like to touch on your early life and influences because I know you're into art. Sure. What do you think? I mean, you went into education or you went into business and didn't go into the arts directly? No, I was born in 1946. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you become a teenager, they would give you occupational preference exams of a sort. And my memory of it, would you rather be a logger, a miner, a fisherman, a farmer? Mm-hmm. And I realized later on that I was a creative that was not a box to check. So as a kid, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. And I went for pathways that were familiar and that people used at that time. I see. Well, I remember your mother when she was here and she spoke. Extremely engaging individual. She spoke at your commencement, too. I got the impression she was from an educational background. My mother was a teacher, Mm -hmm. and she was an orphan at age eight or so. And she did not have a typical childhood. Mm -hmm. And so when I was a kid, she wished me to be all that I could be. And she took me to dance. 
I wished to play Little League, which I did, but my mother wished for me to learn dance. Mm -hmm. So she was a big influence, obviously, and she wanted a well-rounded child. And since she had not had a typical family life, I was kind of a product of Dr. Spock. I mean, that she would read these texts and then apply it to me. <laughs> Interesting. No blueprint. Just, uh, wow. Well, she was phenomenal. So your early influences, were you into any specific artist? Um, and I'm, I'm grasping at straws here, I, whether it's painting or sculpture were there, was there music that you leaned into that inspired you to do creative stuff? Oh, I had piano lessons for years because mother imagined that I would be a pianist. Yeah. And it was formal piano uh -huh. and recitals. But when I went to college as an undergraduate, I just became more interested in art of all kinds and humanities. Mm -hmm. And I did an acrylic painting when I maybe was about a senior. I just all of a sudden one day decided I was going to do a modern painting. So I did. And that's the first time I dabbled in creative. And I hadn't had any formal training. I mean, I'd read about what to do. Mm -hmm. And then on my own, I would just do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is probably too early to get into the using art as a learning tool conversation. Mm -hmm. When we arrive at that point in your life, please bring it to the attention because I'm curious, it's all the rage now. You were a precursor to that when you arrived here uh, some 15 years ago. So after college, what did you do? From, from as college? an undergraduate? Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, it was 1968 and I had some really great job offers. I had my bachelor's degree in business and I declined them all and went to graduate school. Mm -hmm. So I finished my bachelor's degree when I was 21 in June, and I went right straight to graduate school. Mm -hmm. And I earned a master's degree like 10 months later, and that had gone well. So I said, well, I'll try for a doctor's degree. And so they admitted me, and I finished with a doctor's degree when I was 24 which led to, was it Morton or Triton? Well, my doctor's degree was essentially in being a community college president. Mm -hmm. And I had been a Mott Fellow, which was most helpful in getting a job. So I left Michigan and was hired by Triton College to be director of research and development. That means doing institutional research and then writing proposals for money. I see. Research for growing programs, programmatic it, research? It would be institutional research of all kinds. I just crank out studies. Mm -hmm. The president of the college would wish for a study of something, and I would write a study up which was in my wheelhouse. I knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. And then institutional research, comparing students with other students. And I would use fundamental statistics, t-tests and correlations and analysis of variance. And, mm -hmm. and I knew how to do that. And so I would crank that out. And then I volunteered for anything that they wished to assign me to. So I would learn the business from one end to the other. So I was negotiating 
in collective bargaining. I was planning buildings. And my first sculpture project at a college was the college had a planetarium. And the astronaut Eugene Cernan had come from the area surrounding the college and the district. So we did a larger-than-life sculpture of Eugene Cernan in an astronaut suit, and we placed that sculpture on a pedestal in front of the planetarium. I raised the money to do the sculpture. I worked with an art faculty member. His name was Ken, and we did the sculpture out of aluminum, did the patina, solved all the problems, and placed it, and then Eugene Cernan was there. So that was my first sculpture or art project while working for a college. Wow. Were you happy with it? Um, something like that is more complex than, than not. You use what's called a lost wax process. I'm familiar with that. And mm-hmm. you, you do the sculpture, you apply the beeswax to the sculpture, mm-hmm. and then you do a layer over that, and then you put it in the kiln, and the wax runs out the bottom, mm-hmm. creating a void, and then you pour in the aluminum. The art faculty member I worked with, he did well, but this is not something we did regularly. Sure. So we had more voids than than we had wished, but we ended up overcoming. Mm-hmm. And the patina, we ended up getting it, but the patina was not easily done either. Mm-hmm. Well, just looking back briefly at what you mentioned with your uh, can-do attitude and your thirst for knowledge outside of your areas, it really shines a light on what I think is your current philosophy with regard to empowering people to step outside of their certain boundaries that they may have, the certain, you know, self-imposed boundaries, present company included. I remember, you know, you were, when you came, you were started to empower people to think broader and to, to do things that challenge them. To imagine. To imagine and to be, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be, you know, and it's thrilling. It, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like it. There was nothing quite like it. What other problems we had, we'd, figure out how to mm-hmm. overcome. Right. And I have to mention, uh, this is widely known here, but you were um, in People Magazine at one point. You were the youngest community college president ever? Well, I was. I became president of Triton College when I was 29. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Triton College was one of the largest community colleges in Illinois and actually in the Midwest. So there was some publicity about that. And that caused People Magazine to do a story and a photo. And Mm -hmm. so that was great fun. Mm -hmm. Imagine be scary, I suppose. Well, my friends would see me looking at People Magazine in the dentist's office from, you know, my my past. And so that was just real interesting. And Mm -hmm. I had been used to local reporters, Mm -hmm. but when the Time Life people showed up, that was a different order. Mm-hmm. And the photographer wished me to do various poses, and some of which I declined. Mm-hmm. They wished me to do what I'll call a King Kong 
and I wasn't going to pose for a King Kong photo, but mm -hmm. they were, they would have mm -hmm. wanted that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you get into media training real quick when you have to. Things can go sideways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I bet you felt at some point like you had a tiger by the tail. I know I certainly would, you know, something like that. Um, but having that mindset that anything's possible and there's another day and another day will come. Um, it's just, I think more people could, uh, could benefit from that personal philosophy. You know, let's get into, uh, coming here. I mean, let's just dive in, um, coming to LCC, it would have been 2008. I think you were a consultant prior for us. I, I had been president of Morton college in suburban Chicago mm -hmm. for five years just before I came here. So I left Morton College and and came straight to Lansing. Mm -hmm. But yes, I had had other presidencies and I was a president for 29 years, grand total. Mm -hmm. I was a president in Tacoma, Washington as well. And in the middle of it, I was a vice president of Meyer Incorporated for seven years right. where I was in charge of designing and building stores and also, I was chairman of the board of the Frederick Meyer Gardens the year before it opened. Wow. Were you involved in the Da Vinci Horse the acquisition? No, event? that was after that. But Fred Meyer, over the years, had collected sculpture. Mm -hmm. And he had put them in a building. Mm -hmm. And they were almost all in crates, not seen by anyone. Wow. And I worked with Fred, and we cracked open all the crates. And then it was my job to figure out where to put them. Wow, and that must have been so cool. It was. It was great fun. Yeah. And I had to design pathways to get to them and place them yeah. and what's next to what and what goes inside and what goes outside. And some of his sculptures were very valuable mm -hmm. and others less so so then you had wonderful quality items and then some not so much mm -hmm. and then where do you put it and, and so it was a very interesting exercise and i i enjoyed it yeah i can imagine the insurance issues and fundraising yeah <sighs> i was involved in that was my exposure to big time fundraising people with vast resources and working with them was very fascinating. Yeah, it's something of a jewel in the Midwest. I remember we took our boys up there when they were younger, and I wasn't prepared for the scope of the work. I mean, Chululi Glass there, you know, in the building, and I think you hosted a Chululi exhibition uh, years later outside and uh, just very metropolitan for the area. Yeah. In the Grand Rapids area is metropolitan anyway. I mean, it's... Yeah, uh, it I, I suggested that the garden do Christmas around the world. Mm -hmm. And that is still ongoing. Every year they have Christmas around the world. And those are Christmas trees, largely, as they would be in other countries. Mm -hmm. And the customs and how the ornaments and all, and that continues to be a big draw. Which is a learning exhibition. You oh, yeah. come away from it smarter. Oh, yeah, it's cool. And yeah. uh, when we started, you know, there was nothing. You wanted it to be a year-round 
So I just said, hey, let's do Christmas around the world. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that was it. So they've done it ever since. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, you know, what did you think of LCC? I mean, I know that's a broad question. I mean, as it relates to aesthetics. Well, architecture is often a consequence of the year that it was built. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are various styles of architecture that, and they change over time. Mm -hmm. And like you take Michigan State and their slate roof around the union there, various residence halls, and they have a classic design. Mm -hmm. And they were built in the 30s and 1929. And it's a wonderful design. Yeah. But that was a design of that time. Well, when LCC was built, architecture, they liked concrete, raw concrete. And there's a name for it. It's called brutalism. Indeed, there is. And brutalism has not withstood the test of time very well. Like you take those buildings at Michigan State that I mentioned, I mean, they're treasures today mm -hmm. and they're they're appreciated. Brutalism is not appreciated. It looks punitive. It, it, it yeah, really does. It's, yeah. it's rough and cold mm -hmm. and it kind of seems like a prison mm -hmm. and it's tough to clean. It's off-putting. So a lot of places public buildings like that, they're trying to figure out how to cover up the concrete and how to manage it. And LCC had a whole lot of brutalism. So I wanted to be inviting. So we worked at managing the brutalism. And I did my utmost to make the college inviting to all and the place that people would want to go and think well of. Well, I think you overshot the mark, sir. <laughs> I just, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that in a later talk. What were your priorities? Did you have any specific priorities when you came on board? Well, community college presidents, all of them, again, I've been around the business a long time. They almost all worried about being fired. You're just worried. You got seven board members, and, you know, many community colleges, presidents are dismissed or it is suggested that they go elsewhere, various forms of not being president anymore. Mm. So that's on your mind. And LCC was a very troubled college when I came. So your first order of business is to get established mm -hmm. and have a firm footing and you can win the job, but then you have to earn the respect of people. Mm -hmm. And so you, the day after you win the job, you better be about the business of earning respect. Mm -hmm. And once you establish yourself, then you can start to venture out and do things and as soon as I thought that I could, I started to work on landscaping and softening the brutalism. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, I, I had done some work over by the fire station. And a member of this House, Michigan House of Representatives, called me on the phone. And she said, gee, 
I noticed that you've been doing some work there. I want to tell you that it looks nice. Mm-hmm. So, so that was my my first tiptoe into changing the campus. Yeah, yeah. Well, from a House representative, that's that's noteworthy. Not to delve too far into um, policy or whatnot, but I remember I was in media services at the time. And there was some issue we were having. It was when you first came on board within the first month or so. I don't know what it was. It was the kids, their enrollment status or their financial aid. Something was was um, going sideways. And you decided it would be good for them to have availability to admissions people um, 24-7 or around the clock or at least through the night for a week. Yeah. And it was um, it was a game changer with um i remember it being a game changer with many many people here because they realized that um you know think outside the box that's about the students at the end of the day prior to coming to lansing i had run 24-hour registration Mm -hmm. at two different colleges and it worked it amazed me the number of people who came at two in the morning I mean, it wasn't a whole lot, but it was enough to matter. And so I wanted to expand the number of hours. And it it sent a message to the community, too, that you're welcome here. We will work with you, accommodate you, help you. And if you're working till midnight on your job, you can come here after that and we'll be open and we'll help you. So there's... It's the direct as well as the indirect benefits that you're signaling to the community. Mm-hmm. Well, it resonated. I remember that, and that was a good 15 years ago. Uh, one metric that I'll always, uh, people are so sick of me saying this, but if there's one metric you can apply to your day-to-day here. It's respect students' time. You can apply this to wayfinding. You can apply this to parking, to scheduling classes, uh, pick something. Uh, Web navigation, you know, we're looking at our website and trying to figure out if there are any little bumps that need to be sanded down or smoothed to make it easier to get in and get what you need. Sure, that's always, you have to work on that. It's never static, it's a dynamic, Mm -hmm. and you have to just keep plugging away. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the first art items, placemaking items that I can remember was um, the granite seal that we put into Washington Square. Yeah. You know, we did a did a seal. We designed it for the presidential medallion, and we enlarged it. And it came back beautiful, two color granite. I think yes. it's at least seven feet across, eight feet across, something like that. Well, Chris Drugerfritsch was in charge of facilities at that time. He mm-hmm. and Tim Martz, and they would listen to me talk, and I was so appreciative that. Chris Strugerfritsch, I didn't tell him to do this. He just listened to me, and then on his own, he did the seal on his own. That wasn't me. He just listened to me and then acted. And then he found that sculpture, the chrome over by Dart. Mm -hmm. He found that and acquired Uh it. It had been owned by the city, But it was in crates, I think. The Rivera sculpture. Yeah, and he found it and and helped us to get it, and that was awesome. It just appeared one day. I remember when I was a kid, 
I'm a little kid right. and we're driving by and it was a big deal because it was a, from a federal arts grant. Yeah. And they, in fact, I know someone um, whose father-in-law was in on that, sat in on that acquisition. It was a very big deal. It, it originally sat down by on Michigan Avenue right there at Washington and had a motor in it and rotated. Yes, it rotated. It, that was part of the design. And Struger Fritsch was able to get it from the city. Yeah. We installed it and blew my mind. Awesome. I would actually think through the years, I think about that. I wonder where it's at. Well, city, maybe it's crated up or maybe they sold yeah. it. You know, it would cross my mind every so often. And um, I'm walking down Capitol. One day I'm walking to a meeting and I glance, I look over between Dart and Mackinac and it's sitting, it's right there. Yeah. It's right there, you know, and it's the pavement was poured correctly and it's beautiful. Uh, Jose Rivera. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It was. Uh, I have no idea. If someone told me it was worth a hundred thousand, I, I I bet it is. I mean, I don't know what it's worth, no. but I know it to be valuable. No, it's aged well. And I remember the, the media splash it made from when I was a kid. I'm like, I don't know, eight or nine, you know, and I remember this, this thing. Well, sir, we're running out of time, but I wouldn't mind having you back for another talk, if that's okay. Sure, glad to. Dr. Brent Knight, it has been fantastic catching up with you, and I look forward to another talk. Yeah, me too. Thank you. John Maida once said, Simplicity is about subtracting the obvious and adding the meaningful. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination.